Please join me in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You'll need a a bookmark here um, because this is where we're going to be for several weeks together. We started last week in Philippians 3. And uh, we'll carry on through the rest of this month and into the month of September as well. Discussing uh, some very... I think very personal things, very uh, challenging things, and it has to do with our desire for more Christ, more Christ. And I think it's fitting for any of us, for all of us here, because no matter where you are in your Christian walk, we have to confess we need more. We need more of Jesus. And so this is a section that will challenge us thoroughly. I know it will. It does me every time I open it up. A passage, actually, Philippians 3. I've been desiring to do a sermon series on this for a long time. I've done pieces and parts and things of that nature, but I've never just focused on the chapter. And uh, I don't know. Someday I want to do that on chapter 2. Someday on chapter 1 and chapter 4 too. There's that much to this book that's so endearing to me. So join me today in Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, and I'm going to read through verse 16, 12 through 16. He's right in the middle of a thought. He says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of, by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Heavenly Father, these words, as we start to examine them, are powerful words. But then that's true of all of your scripture. They cut us all the way down to the core of our being. And today we realize in submitting ourselves to your word again, that is likely to happen. Because you know us and you know our needs. And more than anything, we need Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you might show us through this passage again the depth of the call that you have for us, what you desire for us to do and us to be. May it just be laid out clearly before us as your Holy Spirit teaches us. With these words, guide us, we pray today. And thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Your faithful, merciful correction, your beautiful direction, your ambition for us to be like Christ, and the fact is, we will be someday when we stand before that throne. Until then, Lord, we're in the process, and we submit ourselves to your word because that's the process you're taking us through to make us more like Christ. We appreciate that very much and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first time we addressed this last week, toward the end of your time that I was sharing with you, I brought up something that I want to start with this week. 
I want to bring this to your attention, and I realize that it can be very uncomfortable. If somebody was allowed into your home, into your office, into your shop, and they didn't know anything at all about you, but they were allowed to sift through everything you owned, they go through the books that you read, the games that you play, the objects that you keep on the shelf. Even if they had special access, and this is somewhat of my imagination, so let me go with it, that they could find out what you think by climbing into your mind and seeing the things that you spend your time thinking about. And if they could evaluate the time that you invest in things, if they were allowed to sift through every single aspect of who you are and what you do with your days, would they conclude that you belong to Christ? Is that what they would find? That's what Paul said when we were studying last week. He says, I want to be found in him, in verse number 9. That means that if you look through everything I own... If you sit through everything I am, your conclusion is Christ, not Paul. What Paul has done was taken all the stuff that was on his ledger that he once considered to be gains, and he moved it to the side of the ledger that he called loss. Zeros is what we usually call it. But technically, they're detriments to him now. All the things that once he thought promoted himself. He, he once bought all these things to promote himself. He invested heavily in his things. He rose to high ranks because of his investment and his time and his effort and his thoughts. He was a leader among leaders. Read his testimony. It's in the book of Acts. Several times he gives it. He talks about the difference of what he used to be and what he is now. In other words, Paul would have said, I filled my ledger with the things of the flesh. The things that this world considered to be the most important things in life. He says in verse number 4, I had my confidence in them. I had confidence in the flesh. And if you compared me with any other man on earth, I was more confident. He said in verse number 5, for example, he said this, I was circumcised the eighth day. He's starting to list all his accomplishments. Uh, Paul, I don't think you did that one. Think of that for a minute. Uh, he says, I was of the nation of Israel. All right. How did you make that happen? You didn't. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. How did he accomplish that? He didn't. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. How did he get that? He didn't. I'm not saying he's not these things. I'm saying... I don't know how you could write that down and say, look what I did. <laughs> because these were all done for him. But as to the law, he said, I was a 
Pharisee. Most of us don't like that name. There's a good reason for that. We see their record in history. And how many of you want to be a Pharisee? Anybody? Nobody? Good. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I am found blameless. These were gains to me. These were gains to me. He had confidence in right, R-I-T-E, that's worship stuff. He had confidence in race. He had confidence in religion. He had confidence in his record. He had confidence in righteousness. But all of it was flesh-based. It was measured from one man to another. I more. I more. I more. He was comparing himself to everybody else. And whoever thought they had something, Paul exceeded him. And it's very easy to gain fleshly confidence when you set yourself against other people. That's what Paul did. And then he met Christ. And then he met Jesus Christ. His own testimony is in verse number 8. Verse number 8. He says, more than that, I count all things, all things, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I might gain Christ. If all Paul ever had in life was Christ, if he never had ministry, if he never wrote these words in this scripture that we read today, if he never did any other thing, but he had Christ, that's all he wanted. Jesus Christ. He says, I would count anything else to be a loss if it hinders me from my Savior. I'll count it but rubbish just because I want to gain Christ. There's nothing more excellent than knowing Christ. Nothing. I appeal to you like I've done for quite a few years now. This is what we're all about. This is what we're here for, to know Jesus. Because we're going to be like him. We ought to know him. He says this, though. It's, it's a loss to me, but really more than a loss. It's rubbish. It's worthless. It's detestable. It's the obscuring. This little Greek word for dung. If you have your King James there and you're reading it, and you're saying, ooh, what an ugly little word. Oh, don't even look it up unless you want to really see ugly stuff. It is a terrible word. The, the word he uses here. The, the nicest form of it is what you scrape off the bottom of a pan when it burns your dinner. All right? I won't go to the grossest one. We have dinner coming up. But the question is, would you like anything like that to be on your ledger? That's what he considered them. All this was lost. They're detriments. And I'll tell you why he calls them detriments. Because any time man puts his confidence in the flesh, He's putting in confidence in something that is sinful because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's putting his confidence in things that cannot last. You put your confidence in the law, and folks, how quickly do you break the law? The scripture says, how many do you have to break to be guilty of them all? One. Oh, that's a great place to put your confidence. He says, I, I can put my confidence in my own righteousness. And yet, 
that's something God determined to be as a filthy rag. If you read Isaiah, our own righteousness is like a filthy rag in God's presence. Is that what you're going to fill your trophy case with? Sinful flesh? Broken laws? Filthy rags? Paul says that's what it was. Because all those things do not propel you to God. They don't take you closer to Him. They only speak of the glory of man. Like I said last week, one side of his ledger was his picture. (laughs) That's all he saw was Paul. And he says, no, I'm going to slide all that to the losses. And all I want is Christ. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. That's his ambition. We talked about that last week. And the funny thing about that question, or that statement, verse number 10, that I might know him. You might be saying, but Paul, you're the Apostle Paul. If you don't know him, who can? (laughs) If you don't know who he is, if you don't know him well enough, who can know him more? Well, Paul's using a little word called gnosko in the Greek. It's a fun little word. This kind of knowledge is not book knowledge. It's not head knowledge. It's experience knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that comes from everyday life and what you live. The big days and the bad days, the good days, the challenging days, all of that. They all mount up together. And he says, I want to take all that to help me understand more of Christ. More times than not, some of the parts of life we say, let's just get rid of that. That's not good. That doesn't help me at all. But you know, even those rough days brings us to understand Christ better. At least teaches us we need faith, right? That we need to pray more. That we need to walk closer to it. You fall down, you make a mess of things. Guess who tells you, come back and I'll help you? It's Christ. So this is a knowledge gained by experience. And how does that work? Let me say it simple. It's gained by time spent. If you want to know Christ this way, you spend time with Him this way. It comes from practice. It comes from doing it over and over and over and over again. If you're the kind of person who does devotions one day a week, that's not called practice. All right? That's not an investment, is it? One day a week? That's not much. This kind of knowledge comes from doing it over and over and over and over and over again. You become familiar with Christ. You want to know Him this way, you have to spend time with Him if you're going to have it. If you want to know Him this way, you have to witness His power of what He can do. And more times than not, that power is shown when things are at their worst. His power was shown when He rose Lazarus from the dead. His power was shown in the middle of a storm when He quieted the sea. His power is shown so many times in a situation where we say, I don't want to go there. (laughs) That's bad. But see, if we're looking for Christ and spending time with Christ, you have to witness what He can do. You have to get to know Him. You have to have fellowship with Him. You ready for this? Brace yourself. If there are seatbelts here, I'd say snap them on. You have to know Him in the midst of suffering to know how comforting He is. You have to know in your weakness That He is your strength. That He is right there in the midst of the hardest, hardest things ever. He's there. You need to know Him that way. See, Paul didn't just want a sample of Christ. 
He didn't just want a little piece of him, a, a little chunk that fills out the whole pie of his life. I just want maybe 10%. That's not what Paul desired at all. He wants all of Christ. The resurrected Christ? Yeah, everybody likes that. The suffering Christ? Hmm. The dying Christ? Is that in this text? Is that really true? Look at verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. Paul, you mixed up the order. It's the sufferings and the death and then the resurrection. That's that's the order. That's the way it works. We like the resurrection. We like the power of the resurrection. Boy, Easter Sunday, aren't you excited as can be? You can't wait to go and sing Easter songs. Cantatas are always on Easter too, and we're all excited about that. And you say, well, we love Easter. But we also learn of Christ as we go forward into the sufferings. Matter of fact, that's where it starts to get deeper. Go on to the point of death, and many are afraid to go down that path at all. They say, uh oh, uh, that's not for me. I, I don't want to go down that path at all. But we forgot. He made a promise. He made a promise. And it's in one of the most familiar Psalms you'll ever read. What does he say about even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death? What's his promise? I am with you. I am with you. Do you want to know Christ in the valleys too? Do you want to know Christ in the shadows too? Do you want to know Christ when things are pressing in around you? Do you want to know Christ this way? He is with you. He is with you. Paul says, that's all I want. I want that to be on my ledger. I want to gain Christ. All of Him. And when you find me, I want it to say, Paul is all if Christ. It's all about more. That's what I want people to see. More Christ. Do you have that ambition? I ask you, talk to your heart. Talk to your heart. Do you have that ambition? You see, the testimony in front of you in this chapter is powerful. And like I said, it can make you very uncomfortable. Because Paul is not content with anything else. Anything else. And as we read through these words that I've read to you today from verse 12 through verse 16, he doesn't want to be the only one with that ambition. He doesn't want to do it alone. Now, as he started off the passage in verse number 12, here, you could do this. Look with your eyes. Look at the page. Verse 12. I, 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 I. Verse 13. I, I. Verse 14. I. Verse 15. Us. Us. He shows you his ambition. Not that I've already attained it, or I've already become perfect. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. 
Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Here's his ambition. I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what I do. I keep moving that way. I keep moving that way. Interesting something. I want to just give you a side note, okay? Step just to side, just to note, because it's right here in the passage. It says in verse 11, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. There are some people that have a real challenge with forgiving, or forgetting. I'm sorry, forgetting. Forgiving too, but for that matter, forgetting. It's kind of hard to forget some things in life, isn't it? Some things that are really hard. And you say, I, I can't forget that. They left, they, they left a scar on me. It was a sin. It was something. But it's there. It's there. And they see it. And they mark it. And it's almost like maybe every anniversary of it, they, it comes back. But it's there. And it's a constant reminder. It's there. It's there. It's there. Some of us have been there before. Some of us in higher ways. Some of us in lower ways. But we see that thing and we say, I can't forget. I can't forget. Well, when you study through this passage, it's rather interesting to see this. Because if we have our focus here on the sin, or the focus on the scar, we're always going to remember. He says, forgetting. Forgetting. And he said, I just can't do that. I'll tell you how it works. There's that same word forgetting used in another passage of Scripture. And it's a picture of a group of disciples in a boat. And they're going across the Sea of Galilee. Now, what had just happened in the historical account was Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Remember the disciples went and picked up baskets of it, extra. They had all this extra stuff. They were all going to take it to Kentucky or something, right? They said, let's gather it up and let's take it with us and all that stuff. They're in the boat in the middle of the water and suddenly it dawns on them. What? We forgot the bread. And it becomes an issue. If you read through the text, they're like, oh no, we forgot the bread. And they think the whole dialogue starts, we forgot the bread, we forgot the bread, we forgot the bread. And they're so worked up about that. We forgot the bread. But when you look at the, what had happened there, they were so overwhelmed with what Jesus had done, and now he's in the boat with them, and they're traveling across. They had their focus on him the whole time. Yes, they forgot the bread. How many of you have ever forgotten things because your mind was set on something else? Not uncommon, right? Here's a beautiful picture. You ready? If we keep our focus on the sins and the stars and the histories and the the calendars and all those other things, we're not going to forget easily. But if we have our minds on Jesus Christ, we have something else to think of. And guess what? He's the only answer for these. He's the only answer for these. The picture is, Paul says, how do I forget? This forgetting is not because he sat down and said, I'm going to forget, I'm going to forget, I'm going to forget. He has his focus on Christ. He has set his eyes on the goal. He set his eyes on the end result. As a result of that, everything else is just forgotten. It's just forgotten. Because he's moving forward. 
This picture is kind of interesting to me because it talks about what is going to dominate your mind. And honestly, we could dominate our minds with a lot of things. But he says, for me, I forget those things which are behind. I forget them. Not that he intentionally did it so much as he said, I've got something better to think about. I've got something better to think about. And that's why he says, I'm reaching forward to other things. I'm pressing toward the mark. I'm pressing for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that may not be an easy answer, but that's what Paul did. That's how he worked with it. And boy, did he have things he would have loved to have forgotten. But guess what? Verse 12, Paul was still growing. Can you believe that? Oh, yes. Paul says, I'm still growing. I'm still growing. Not that I've already attained all this. I'm not there. I'm not perfect. The word comes from the Greek word teleos, ultimately. Teleos is the end. The final project. All finished. Everything done. When does that happen? That's in heaven. He says, I'm not there yet. How do you know, Paul, you're not there yet? Well, I'm still standing here. I'm not in heaven, am I? He says, I haven't attained it yet. That's attained to the resurrection of the dead. He hasn't been there yet. Why haven't you attained it, Paul? Well, I'm still alive. I'm still here. I'm still growing. If you're studying hermeneutics, you have to understand that hermeneutics, the study of the Bible, how do we do this? You have to start with observation. You start with what you see, and then you begin to interpret or to apply. In other words, you have to keep the context in front of you. You have to keep the history in front of you. You have to keep understanding. What is Paul speaking about? He's talking about sufferings and death and the resurrection of Christ. He says, that's what I want to know. I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. But I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm still growing. I'm not perfect. Nobody is here. I'm not perfect. I haven't reached the end yet. I'm not at the maturest level. I have someplace more to grow. Someplace more to grow. The day we realize, or the day we convince ourselves we're done growing, that's a sad day, folks. Because we're here to grow. We're here to grow. Some people picture it like climbing a mountain and someday they're going to reach the peak and they realize there's nothing else to do. What do I do then? Well, here's your goal. If growth is to measure according to the standard of Christ, do you still have room to go? I think we all do. You see, when he wrote to the Ephesians, Paul said that we are to come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How are we doing? That's what we all ought to be aiming for, to be like Christ, to be like Christ. To be like Christ. Matter of fact, at the end of this chapter in Philippians 3, go down to verse 20 just for a minute. Verse 20 and 21, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. 
That's when we get there. And he's going to do it by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. He tells the sun when to move. He tells the earth when to move. He's in charge of the universe. He's created all these things. He's got power, folks. And someday he's going to aim that power right at you. Does it make you nervous? I mean, that's standing in front of one of those scary medical machines. That's like, say, oh, this won't hurt at all. Right? And they're about to flip a switch, and you say, I don't know. This is the power of God. What He is able to do, He's going to fashion you to be like Himself. In the end, done. He's able to do it, isn't He? Do you think He's going to come up short? He's going to say, oops. (laughs) There's no oops in the Lord's calendar or in His vocabulary. He's going to see it through. He's going to perform it to to perfection. He will perfect us. And Paul says, we're conformed to that. We'll be conformed to that, but we're also predestined to it. Romans chapter 8 talks about that. This is guaranteed. So much so that John could write in his epistle, and when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's no question mark in all this. That's the reality. That's the moment when we're completed. That's when we're finished according to the pattern of Christ. And it's good to know something. Even as you read Philippians here, Paul says, I'm not there yet. And neither are we. We're not there yet. We're still growing. We're still growing. We're still growing. This is Paul's ambition. To know Christ in every possible way. To strive to be like Him. He says in verse 12, I follow after Him. He says, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I forget those things which are behind. I reach forward to those things which are before me. I press on. By the way, most of these are what we call present participles. Which means, this is what I am doing all the time. While I press on, I'm forgetting what's behind. While I press on, I reach forward to what's going in front of me. I keep moving, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. There's some athletic terms in this for you who love athletics. The runner in the midst of the race keeps going. Keeps going. You're not finished yet. You don't turn around and go back. The finish line's before you. He says, I reach. I reach. I love that word. I reach forth to the things that are before me. That's a Greek word, and it's about as intensive as you can get it. You know what that word is? It means to completely stretch yourself out, and I think it includes groaning. I don't know when this happened, but I've started groaning, folks. I stand up in the morning and go, I take my say, where does that come from? It's a biblical term, so I'm going to consider it such. Paul says, I groan for it. All right, so it sounds good to me. When's the last time spiritually you groaned for more of Christ? He groans, he grunts, he presses on. Matter of fact, the word press on means 
to persecute. And if anybody knew that word, Paul did. Oh, he was an incredible persecutor. You say, but but it's only referenced a little bit in Acts chapter 8 or so, or 9. I said, no, go to chapter 26 when he's giving his testimony and he'll tell you how he persecuted. It's pretty, pretty tough stuff. Persecuting means to chase it, to chase it, to chase it until you catch it. It's the same word for hunting. Paul says, that's what I used to be. And now my goal is to press on in that same fashion to know Christ. I'm going to keep chasing it until I get it. I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going. I have a goal. I have a mark. I have a prize. Whatever God's called me to, that's what I want to do. Because whatever that is, it's going to be like Jesus. I'm going to do it. And he presses on, presses on. And I like that term. Because, you know, running's hard. And Jack, you make it look easy. You know, these kind of, they run, they say, you know, I say, how do you do that? I ran cross country for three years and I couldn't stand it. I don't even know why I kept signing up for the team. I was terrible at it. They were guaranteed this. They knew when the race was over, when I finished the line. That's my running. And that's all there was to it. And I didn't like it. I don't know why I kept signing up. That's for runners. There's another athletic term here in verse number 12. He follows after something. He says, he says in this, I want to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. This one is a fascinating concept. Lay hold of. Remember the day Paul was saved? You could go back to Acts chapter 9. There it is. I like that. In Acts chapter 9, Paul's talking about his salvation experience. It's recorded in history. He says he's on his journey. He's coming up to Damascus. I mean, he had fire in his heart. He wanted to arrest Christians. And as he's heading there, suddenly there's a light that shines out of heaven, remember? And it throws him from his horse. Matter of fact, read Acts chapter 26. I keep recommending this, but you've got to do it sometime. Acts chapter 26. Paul wasn't the only one laying on the ground. Every single person around him was too. They were all flat on the ground. And this voice started to speak. And it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul is going to ask a question. And it's kind of interesting. Because he says first, who are you, Lord? He says, well, I'm Jesus. The one you're persecuting. And then, verse number 6. If you read a King James Version, you've got some words there that are not in New American Standard or others. And I'm not going to argue translations or manuscripts or anything. But the King James added another phrase. And it said, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? I think it's a very fitting question once you find out that he's Lord. Once you come in contact with Jesus, the first thing you're going to want to know is, now what do I do for you? What do I do for you? Paul says, I was apprehended by Christ. 
I was on my own journey. I was doing my own thing. If pleasing my own flesh, getting good marks in the church setting I, or in the world setting. I just wanted everybody to see how great I was. And the Lord took me down off that horse. The word he uses here is a wrestling term. He says, I was intensely taken down. If Paul fell, there was at least a squeak that came out of him. If not a moan, if not a ugh, when he hit the ground. Because the Lord intensely took him off that horse. (laughs) Seized him, grasped him, pinned him to the ground. Paul was saying, in effect, I was like a wrestler who just got thrown. I just got thrown. Hmm. Do we deserve to be saved? Nobody in here would say, yeah. We don't deserve salvation, do we? Do we deserve that anyone should love us like that? No. Why would... Jesus want to save Paul. He was the biggest enemy to the whole church in that day and age. Why would he want to save him? Why would he take the time to grab him off his horse and throw him to the ground? Why would he pin him down there and talk to him and say, you're going to do something for me? Do you realize that you too are saved for a purpose? God didn't accidentally save you. He didn't pick you out of the rest of the world and say, hey, I'll just pick them. I don't know why, but I will. He chooses you for a purpose. He saved you for a reason. What is your purpose? What are you here for? Paul says, I'm not exactly sure, but I'll tell you this. Whatever it was that he had in his mind for wrestling me to the ground, I want to wrestle that down and understand it. I want to do what he has saved me to do. I want to go where he has saved me so I can go. I want to know. I want to clasp it. I want to grasp it. I want to wrestle with it. I want to fight it. I want to pin it down. I want to know why he saved me and what's his purpose in my life. I want to know it. Have you ever thought that question before? Have you ever wrestled with that word? That's what Paul is expressing here. He says it so clearly in that verse. He says, I want to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's his ambition. You see it. You see it all over the pages. And you may say at this point, Pastor, this is making me tired. This ambition, this intense zeal for Christ in all these words, Paul's not wasting time on anything that doesn't matter. Christ is his goal. He wants to know him, to be found in him, to be like him, to be with him. He's going to pursue it. He's going to chase it. He's going to wrestle and grasp and strain and stretch out and fix his eyes on the finish line. And all that while you're hearing it, Paul is saying something to us. And it's simply this. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? He moves from his ambition, his mentality, to his appeal. He suddenly starts saying, us. Let us. Let us. End of verse number, or beginning of verse 15. 
Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. What attitude? The one I just explained to you. This attitude. Christ is my prize and I'm going to run for it. Have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. It's kind of fun when you go to Bible camps. You've been to Bible camps before? Anybody here? Three, four, good. Okay. Maybe more. But you, you went to Bible camp. And it's kind of fun when, when you go there. And I went there for so, so many years, even as a pastor, as a camp counselor and all those things. That last night, what we normally did at our camp was there was this large bonfire and everyone's sitting around it, and we're singing songs, and, and then the campers all get a chance to give their testimony. If the Lord's done anything in their life, anything that's happened, they, they want to tell what the difference camp has made to them. And we all go home on this thing we call the high, right? Oh, we were going home, we had our Bible study skills all in place now. We're going to read the Bible constantly, right? We're going we're gonna to treat our younger brother and sister the right way. We're, we're, we're going to obey our parents, you know, all those things. But how long did that normally last before we became normal again? You know it was it's the way we felt. I suppose if you're talking in this passage with Paul, you're going to say, but Paul, that's got to let down sometime. This intense zeal that you're showing to us, how do you maintain that? How do you keep moving in this way? Paul says, I'll show you how it works. It's real simple. He uses the word us. Because the Christian walk is not a single individual sport. The Christian life is made up of other believers walking with you. Do you hear it? You cannot do this on your own. That's not the way it's designed to be. The things we're reading about here were not solely for the Apostle Paul. That's why he's pleading with you. It, it, he's speaking to them. Uh, this is his reality. This is what he's doing. He's not commanding them. He's not commanding them. Many times Paul does. But in this case, he speaks of a potential, about possibility. He says, come, let us go together. Let us run together. He calls to them to grow up with Him, to mature with Him, that they all become mature believers. Matter of fact, if you're a mature believer, that ought to prick up your ears and say, yes, that's what He calls us to do, because that's what it means. He couldn't tell that to the Corinthian church. They couldn't handle the meat. Paul says, and if you hear it, if you hear it, listen, Paul says, I've set you an example. This is my ambition. And as he's rushing by you to gain Christ, he says, come with me. Come with me. Come with me. Let us run together. Let us all say, Lord, what will you have me do? Be thus minded. I like the way the King James says that. Have this attitude. Have this attitude. What is his attitude? More Christ. Have this attitude. You're supposed to think the same as Christ. Did you know that? Go back to chapter 2. 
We're to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. And what did Jesus show us about his mind and what it concerns? He left everything in God's hand so he could come and serve and die. He humbled himself. And I'm going to say that if you want to run with Paul, you've got to learn humility. If you're going to run with Paul, you've got to be willing to step where Christ is taking you. Have the same mind. Have the same mind. Paul says, I want to gain Christ. I want to have his mind. I want to have his actions. I want to follow him. I want to know him. That's the only knowledge I seek. I want other people to see him in me. But I don't want to stand there alone before the throne. I want everybody with me. I want us all to be there together, found in Christ. Do you have that mind? Do you have that mind? That's what Paul is saying. The potential lies before you right now. The possibility is there if you will have it. It's right there in front of you. Paul is calling us all to spiritual growth. Do you see it? He says, do you want it? Join in the pursuit. We all have a need for it. Do you want it? We have a a well-rounded Christian character set before us. Do you want to be like that? Do you want to aim for that? Do you want to move beyond spiritual infancy? You hear the call. Paul says, come, let's go, let's go, let's go. Now, other places in Scripture, it's a command. Peter uses it as a command at the end of his epistle. 2 Peter 3. He says in two ways. He says, this is one or this is one. Which one is you? He says in 2 Peter 3.17, Beloved, seeing these things before, beware, beware, lest you also, being led astray by the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. He says there's potential for all of us to be led astray and to fall from our steadfastness. Hear the word? Not salvation, but steadfastness. We can become very weak. We can be very immature. We can, yes, you can grow that way in Christ. You can go backwards. He says, no, better thing is grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're in doing one or the other because there is nothing in between. You're either growing to be like Christ or you're in danger of falling. And Peter says, which are you going to do? Well, he even asks you this in verse number 18. Grow. It's an imperative. He's not giving you the option anymore. He says, do it. How much better, folks, is it? If our will was conformed to his will, when we're encouraged by some people, come and join us to grow to be like Jesus, and we jump right in, Isn't that better than somebody having to come and stick their finger in our face and say, do it? Wouldn't you rather have a heart that's already engaged? Already heading that way? Already wanting to do that? Or do you need somebody to shake you and say, get started, get started, get started? Paul's running by you right now. And his appeal is heard as you hear him go by. Join me. Join me in this. It's almost like it's 2,000 years of calling. He's still heard, isn't he? Join me, he says. And if you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. God will reveal that to you. There are some people who think they're so mature they don't need to grow. Oh, God could show you that. And you you know what? There are some people who are so immature they say, this is hopeless. I can't do it. 
so they don't. You know what? God could fix that too. And that's the beauty of what I see in this passage. I recall this when I think about it. I'm growing. You're growing. Let's do it together. Let's go go for this goal together. This is how God works, and I love it. I've got more pages, but I've got to stop. Oh, my. What's wrong with that clock? You know what? I'll come back next week. I'll keep on going with this. Oh, there's so much to the appeal. I, I wish I could just rip open my heart and just show you what it says, because this passage just pulsates with an appeal that I hope we'll all take to heart. We're all saying, yes, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want more Christ. Heavenly Father, if our hearts are not beating that way today, show us why. Show us what the hindrance is. Show us what the barriers are that we have set up in our, in our own little minds to prevent us from desiring Christ above everything. Lord, do your work in our hearts. Yes, we're callous. Yes, we have immaturity. Yes, we have sin. Yes, we have all these things within us. And they're all like chains. They hold us down and they keep us back. But Lord, you know all that. You know our hearts better than we do. Our hearts deceive us. But you know our hearts better than anybody. And when we're fighting against it, when we're kicking against it, you speak to us and you say, come, just come. Come closer. Come closer. That's an appeal that you give to each and every one of us in this room. And I thank you, Lord, for doing that. For seeing us who we are and still saying, come be like Jesus. Come be like Jesus. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. Thanks for not giving up on us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the call. The call that's still there, still being heard today. And I pray for every heart in this room today that we will hear it and we will want it. Do your work, Lord, to bring that about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.